0: Josh Pierce. Here we are. The recording button didn't come up right away, but here we are, dude. Uh, You just dropped a bombshell on me before we um, press record, so I'm trying to gather myself here a little bit, but Josh, man, I'm super glad to connect with you and have you on, and um, it's funny. I I just connected with a couple other people from our group, so we both invested in working with uh, Jen, and, and quite frankly, I don't think we really talked much during the academy i think we probably touched more uh post academy um but every time we talk it's it's always kind of the same stuff it's mental health it's about our experiences with it and you've got you've got your own version of what that story and journey is looking like and um i'm i'm grateful to have you here and open and vulnerable to sharing that and i'll stop talking and kind of just let you introduce yourself in whatever capacity you would like to my man
1: Absolutely, man! Thank you so much. I appreciate that intro, um, and yeah, just kind of sharing a little bit before we dove in here, uh, the story that I am about to tell you all today. So we'll get into that in a little minute, uh, a little minute, a little bit. Um, quick little <laughs> intro about myself. My name is Josh Pierce. I am a nutrition coach and, but really, like a lifestyle coach, primarily working with women, helping them conquer fat loss, helping them take control of their entire life, so they're ultimately living a life that. They can enjoy, be happy, be proud of, that kind of thing. Um, Really, if you've ever been on the dieting train, struggled with your weight, body image, things like that, um, you probably are well aware as to how much restriction is out there and all the rules and how difficult things can be. So I, after having my own personal journey with body image and weight loss, and finally having connected the dots myself, I decided that what I had was, the, the code that I had cracked was so powerful that I would be doing a disservice to my friends, family, those around me, if I didn't take that to the next level and really give, you know, really pass that information on to other people. So it's kind of like, um, and you probably realize this now too. It's it's like having the key. It's like you, it's like you see all these other people struggling, and you're like, I got the key right here, <laughs> and, and I'm kind of like a selfish asshole if I don't share that with with others. So I actually left a seven year federal law enforcement career and started my own business, got into coaching, and here we are. I
0: love it, dude. Um... And we're we're going to circle around some of that stuff because a lot of it is it sounds uh the federal law enforcement the body image there's a lot of stuff surrounding men particularly in there that i want to maybe dust off a bit and bring to the forefront but um what i think you and i have connected most over just in our few a uh, couple of interactions here there it's never like these long drawn-out interactions it's just like you floor the car, it takes off, and we, you know, it's five seconds down the quarter mile, and then all of a sudden we're like, "All right, dude, yeah, well, I'll talk to you like next month or something." <laughs> yeah, it's just right. this really intense conversation. Um, but you, let's start with the mental health journey. Um, if anyone is listening, to this, they know me; they've gone back to the first episodes or whatever. They they know my story a little bit. That I myself have struggled with suicide and uh, addiction and some of some sorts and, and just all these you know every avenue of anxiety and depression whatever so there's there's all these things in my story but you uh you Josh have uh, a quite a story there where your brother uh did take his life uh he he did commit suicide and I'm so grateful that you are, are in a position where you are able to talk about it and communicate to, uh, about it and, and even feel driven to to whether or not it's to help somebody with a similar situation or someone that is in the act of thinking about these things. And so for that, I'm, I'm really grateful for your strength and your vulnerability on that. Um, but man, what, let's talk about that story. Let's, let's let you just take that away because this,
1: yeah, this one's powerful. No. Absolutely, and and yeah, guys. So if you're listening to this right now, I have some real juicy stuff to share with my brother's story, with you know some other stories. Um, Like the best recommendation for you is sit down, buckle up, and and you know just go for the ride. And of course, know that with this, like I I am an open book. I absolutely love sharing my journey, like anything about my life, any lesson I've learned along the way, anything like that. I like it, I'm, I'm selfish if I don't share that. Like I, I, I know how helpful it can be to others. So when I share these mental health stories, I think it would be, you know, maybe a lot easier to not share them. But my goal with this is if, if I can help inspire one person or change one person's life, it's all totally worth it. And just in, in what I've done in coaching and what my family's done um, since my brother's suicide, we've certainly exceeded that goal right there. So that's that's kind of my little disclaimer. Um, but anyway, so I'm 31 right now. Um, when I was in college, I was 22. My brother was 20 years old. We both went to the same college, had a lot of the same friends. We were best friends growing up together. We played on the same basketball team in high school, the same football team, baseball. We played all of the same sports together, had all of the same friends. Um, so really grew up as best friends. Uh, when we were in college, he took his own life. And to our entire family's surprise, we had no clue there was anything going on. We, from my perspective, he was the happiest guy in the world. Hundreds of friends, life of the party, Uh, you know, he had a girlfriend and and everything. And it was just completely out of the blue. Nobody had any clue whatsoever. And now looking back, in retrospect, it's easy to see some signs that we may have missed, which I'm I'm more than happy to talk about there. But um, anyways, he took his own life. The day... We The day I had gotten back from spring break, um, he actually sent a text to me while I was sleeping. It was, what, 12, 12 16 p.m., and the text that I received from him, is, and I'll just I'll recite what the text was. I can never forget it. It said, it said hey, man, um, we're, I want you to know that you're more than a brother to me. You are my best friend. We had a lot of good times together growing up, and when we got older, we drank a lot of great beers together. Um, let me know how the Packers do this year. I'm sorry. I, and basically I just kind of tied it off like saying, I'm sorry and love you, man. And I received that text at 3:30 in the morning when I wake up to use the restroom in the middle of the night, half asleep, read that text. have no clue what you think and like completely blindsided. And I'm calling his phone, you know, 15, 20 times. Um, and, and from there the next like two days was a complete blur as he, indeed took his life and that was the last thing that i heard from my brother and and of course the guilt and and shame i felt after that just incredibly defeating there's so many different scenarios that went through my head as to what could i have done different as a brother like where did i go wrong what was so bad if i was your best friend what was so bad that you couldn't even come talk to me about it like how did i not even know that kind of thing um of course what if I had responded to his text? What if I was up? What if I had called him? How many times could I have called him? And he hit ignore and in the four minutes that passed between then and the time he sends his last, last text message. So there's a lot of this like why and what if and replaying different scenarios in my head, wondering how I could have changed the outcome. And that ultimately ended up being like the story of the guilt and shame that I felt for the next, let's say eight, nine years of my life feeling this burden of, it was my responsibility to change the outcome, or, you know, I, I could have changed the outcome, like, why didn't I, or where did I come short? So, just incredibly, incredibly defeating, but that is the, really the summary of kind of, like, what happened.
0: Well, that was, that was the figurative bomb that you dropped right before you pressed record. Um, I mean, I think the first thing to say is, you know, I'm truly sorry for your, for your loss, and um i don't i don't think anybody everybody can tell you how to handle things and it's not your responsibility all these things right but that's not those things don't don't really help specifically in the moment i mean maybe now you can have a conversation about you know when you're feeling down someone can say like hey we got to remind you of what's you know and and you have the wherewithal to go yeah i've worked through a lot of stuff but it doesn't make it easier and it's just one of those things man i don't know that something like that ever really does get easier can't imagine. Uh, I know that when I went through my struggles, I, you know, I, I did a podcast with uh, Alex Street a couple episodes back and, and I referenced, um, I think it was with Alex Street, it doesn't matter, but I referenced when, when I was put into a psych ward and my mom just kind of standing with me and over me and just looking at her face. I will never forget her face and her tears and the pain that I could feel from her. Because I, I, you know, what the hell is mom supposed to do right now? Like, the, you know, how, first of all, I was like, well, how the hell are you going to do this to your mom? But secondly, like, look at the pain she is in. And how do I get myself right so that she's all right? And so I can only imagine what the follow follow through on something like that uh, would be like for those that are still here. Um, you brought up signs. Um, you know, you talked about how could I change the outcome. That eight years, man, what w- what was your life like? How did, how are you functioning?
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, like right away, I'm, I'm thinking like the day of. And like I said, it was pretty much a blur. And I, I remember bits and pieces of it. But a lot of it was like, what I remember is, how do I respond? How do I, like, what's the right way to act? Do I, should I be crying? Should I be bawling? Should I, you know, just be quiet? Is it okay to like laugh? You know, like, is it okay to smile? Is it, like, there are so many questions that I had. And and of course, like, even even at the funeral, I have hundreds of friends from college come going through the line and I'm hugging everybody. And I'm, the whole time I'm thinking, should I be crying right now? All these people are crying and I'm not crying. Does that mean, like, am I not taking this hard enough? Am I like, so all of these scenarios, all of these questions going through my head. And I'm just completely mind fucked as to like what the right thing to do is You're not taught how to deal with, you're not taught how to cope, how to deal with loss like this. And it's like a figure it out for yourself kind of thing. And it's one of those things like, Really can't even ask anybody. Like I can't say, "Hey, what should I do here?" You know, nobody knows. Nobody, nobody I knew had gone through that. So um, there's that. Um, I had a lot of people, a lot of, like, like seriously, hundreds of people reach out to me and say, "Hey, you know, I'm really sorry. If there's anything I can do to help, let me know. I'm here for you." Um, I got a lot of those messages. It was just incredible support. Um, and I have to say, like, in in not to discredit anybody who sent those messages. But there were a select few people who had gone through something similar, who had lost a close family member, who had lost a family member to suicide. And when they would say that, that the same thing, like, Hey, you know, I'm here for you if you need to chat, like that meant so much knowing other people, like it it, it was almost like it carried more weight, you know, when, when like, like knowing they had that personal experience because everybody else, it was almost like, you don't get it though. You don't yeah. get it. You say you feel for me, but you don't get it. And then, you know, it, it, you know, family, friends who have lost you know, loved ones to, to suicide or something like that. It was a whole different thing. Like, like, holy shit. Like, you, really, that's great to know that I can, I can talk to you.
0: About oh, dude, the, the, the message just reads different. Right. You know, and I, I I get it, dude. You're not, you're not ungrateful for everybody else's support. It's just a matter of like, yeah, you know, even there's times where, in regards to the situation when you send that text you know hey you know i'm sorry about such or such you know i'm i'm here if you need anything mm-hmm. it, you know it, like you i even when i send it, i'm like i i mean it there's no question but like i don't know you know why would i, I don't know it's i i know what you're saying i can't even put it into words it's just a matter of like it, it's kind of empty because you're like
1: and this is this this is this will put some context around that. So from that point on, I now know that I have this huge burden on me. I have like loads of baggage, right? And I would love to talk about it. And, and the thing is, is my my family and the, the the local community. We started a nonprofit, Tyler's Team Foundation, and Team is together, everyone achieves more. Like basically bringing everyone together. We started a nonprofit immediately. We well, actually started that summer um, to do a charity softball tournament in, in Tyler's name. It was a huge hit. So for the next eight years, we, w- we had nine of them. Um, a- annual softball, volleyball, um, bags tournaments, like live music, just this huge, huge, huge weekend. The first weekend of August, every year in our tiny little town of 300 people, we would get six seven eight hundred people there. Just incredible. And we would dump tens of thousands of dollars that we would raise with this foundation, we would dump it back into the local community, bringing speakers and stuff like that, like like motivational speakers, keynote speakers, things for the kids, um, just also things for first responders to, to speak about mental health to them, um, all sorts of stuff. So we did so much um, to benefit the community and, and spin it into a positive. So from then on, like I, I grew to really enjoy honoring Tyler and memorializing him and like talking about him. And, and I love having conversations about like about his life and and honestly it sounds crazy but I love kind of talking about what happened and, and all of that but but here's the thing is I, I feel this burden of nobody wants to hear it I want to talk about this nobody wants to hear it like, like I'm not just gonna bring this up to you and make you feel super uncomfortable and you're not gonna bring it up to me because it's like taboo right so for years I had this itch to talk about this and. Had nowhere, had, had nowhere to go because I, I don't want to throw that on your plate. But the last thing you want to do is deal with, you know, Josh's problems and you're certainly not going to say, Hey, how have you been doing since Tyler? Or, you know, like how, you know, like t- let's talk about Tyler. Like nobody's going to say that, you know? So that was the real crazy. And that was to put a little more context around, you know, some of those messages, like it meaning more when it came from people who understood it was that it was like, I can't just dump this on someone who doesn't get it.
0: Man, it's uh, you're you're saying that the burden, the burden, man. As as someone that has, how do I want to unpack what you just said? You just, I almost just started crying, and then I also started laughing. Uh, so with that, how about that for a roller coaster? We're all in about sixteen seconds. Um, I'll start with the burden, the burden to talk. I'm laughing at that because I like to think I feel like a lot of my the people close to me will be like you know, it's taboo to talk about those things. And I'm the guy that's just like, so Josh, what's really going on there, man? What's going on, dude? You know, like I've always been that person where most of the time it's in some jokey manner where people go like, Jesus, dude, like you just tiptoe that line. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's how you find out what's funny and where the sensitivity line is. Like, you know, like someone says one thing, and you're like I'm going to take that one step further just to see where we're at here. You're like, all right, that was the line. I cross it. You're right. My bad. You can always take the joke back, I think. Um, But in terms of like that, the burden of talk, I I definitely am, I I think that I try to be that person that creates the environment. I don't, maybe not necessarily go nose into it, but create the environment of like, let's talk. So that was, you had me laughing because I'm like, yeah, dude, I I get that, but I'm also that asshole. It's just like, yeah, I know, I know something's there, man. Let's talk about it. But the other part of it is you're talking about that burden of and and nobody wants to hear it. I still struggle with that today. And that's what almost had me in tears here is thinking about, um, my experience with myself and still to, to this day, you know, I, I try to make the excuse of, well, I didn't really want to die. Or, you know, I knew what I was doing enough that I probably wasn't going to get there. Like, no dude, your, your thought process was you didn't want to be here and and you can accept that that was at one point who you were and that's where your mind was. But, you, you kind of on you, I think you just exposed the layer of me that I haven't really been willing to expose and to myself, as far as, you know, you can continue to think it wasn't real and you can continue to kind of take severity away from it. But the reality was that was the situation and you were taking more pills than you were supposed to. And whether you took them knowing it wasn't enough, the intention was that I think I might not want to be here anymore. And that that's real. You know, and so for me, I, I thank you for saying that because from a selfish standpoint, I feel like you just helped me, you know, at least pick the corner of the paper up to see the next layer. Um, and that's powerful. So all of that just to say, like, if you need to talk about it, whether it's me or, you know, here's the classic, like, yeah, I'm here for you. But like, I think that you are doing a disservice if you don't talk about it. You know, if, if it's something that you're wondering if people won't listen, that's sort where of the disservice comes in. If you just don't feel like you need to talk about it yourself. That's not it, you know, yeah. but the other side of it is, man, people need to hear this. And I'm saying that for you and for myself of like, there are just too many people walking around thinking, yeah, you know what? I want to do over. I don't want to be a, be this, but you know, the bird, the word burden, I keep circling it because I remember when I was going through those darker times, I remember a friend of mine saying that, you know, only a coward commits suicide. I said, yeah, I, dude, I, I know what you're trying to say. And I know he, it was not of any maliciousness. There's nothing about it. It was very much of trying to prove a point of like, you're not that person, man. That's not who you are. We got to get you out of this. And I heard that. But I also told him, I said, it's not me being cowardly. This is me thinking that I'm a burden on everybody else around me. And that thinking their lives would be better off without me here. Now we can unpack that a million miles long too. Yeah. Of like, well, how narcissistic of you to think that, your problems are the problems of everybody whatever fine but that was the thinking of like I just think that I'm probably too much for everybody and it would probably be better for everybody else if I wasn't here so I, I don't know you just took me on a wild ride whether you know it or not and and actually I'm pretty appreciative of it because I feel like I can grow from that moment so That's
1: awesome. Um, That's awesome. And and I've learned that that's how this stuff kind of works. Like you, you you know, I still. (laughs) It's so funny. I I was in a coaching mentorship program for a year, not last year, but the year before, and we're at we're at the um, one of our retreats. I was in California, and uh, we were sitting at dinner, and and one of the girls in the in the program was like, "Josh, there's 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 something more underneath," and and I don't know what it is. And I don't know that you know what it is, but there's something more. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, let's, let's figure it. And she's like, I was like, well, let's talk about it sometime. And she's, you know, she's about to sit down and eat dinner with her husband. And I'm standing there by the <laughs> table, like talking. And she's like, well, let's go. Let's, let's hear it. Like, tell me your story. And I'm sort of digging in and, and, and I start to talking about, you know, you know, I kind of bring up my childhood and, and get up get to the point about my brother and tell that. And she's like, stop. There it is. Like, she's like, have you ever realized that the, like, have you ever processed this this guilt or this burden that you have, that you feel that that was your responsibility or that you could have changed that. And, and from then on, I realized, I literally realized that my entire purpose and motive like to coach and change people's lives is like to be that person in someone else's corner. Like, like, because I realized if, if, if only he had one more person in his corner, maybe things would have been different. Maybe, maybe. But, but what does one extra person in your corner hurt? So my goal now, like my drive, my purpose to coach is to be that one extra person, to believe in you when you don't always believe in yourself. And, and like that sparked from that conversation, slowly peeling back the layers of that onion. Now, almost 10 years removed from, from the incident and I'm still learning more about this. I'm still learning like, oh, wow, that's how I felt this way or, or wow, I didn't even think about that. you know. So slowly peeling back the layers. Um, one of the things I want to touch on is Back to that, the, the, the idea of sharing it with other people. People would say, you know, hey, Josh, how are you doing? And, and you know, it's kind of like thinking in my head, which answer do you want to hear? You, wanna hear you, know, you, you want me to tell you that? that I'm doing great. Things are fine. Or do you want me to sit down and unpack this right here? Like, you know, so that's, that was another thing that I really dealt with. and And for the sake of conversation or for the sake of like, not getting into that conversation at the wrong time or something like that. I always would just say, no, nah, things are great. I'm, we're doing really well. And, and the family support, the community support has been great. So, you know, like I kind of would sweep it under the rug because I would just assume that, yeah, you're asking, but you're asking because it's the right thing to do, not because you genu- genuinely want to know how I'm doing. So that was another thing, like a burden that I felt was, you're asking because it's the nice thing to do, you know? And, and now <laughs> looking back, I realized like, wow, that was a huge limiting belief. Like I could have easily shared it. Anybody would have listened and you know, that kind of thing. And so a very strange situation.
0: there. <laughs> you know what I've done with that is I just started answering everybody the same way regardless of what I was feeling. Hi, Brian, how are you living and breathing?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. Yeah. You, if they start up the rest of the conversation, great. Let's chat. If they don't, like, yeah, no, everything's fine. I'm living and breathing. It's not a you get the you get to take with that however you need to. Right. No, my business now. I right. <laughs> ah, just put off ownership on everybody else. <laughs> Responsibility's yours, uh, dude. That's um. I I mean, how do you view view the whole situation? Are you someone that believes that everything did happen for that reason? Do you think that there's a bigger purpose in in Tyler's suicide? Do you think that I mean? You, obviously, it is a major major driver for your purpose, your being here, and what you're trying to accomplish and the man you're becoming. You know, I say becoming because that doesn't stop. But how do you, how do you view that? When you look back, if, you, if today was the last day, you know, like we never think about this ever again. How would you look at this whole last 10 years, this decade of, of grieving and mourning into using his power and then riding the roller coaster from there on out and finding out more about yourself related to the situation and just you as josh how do you view that whole thing
1: well you know it's certainly changed over time and and early on you know and and i'll say right now i I was real quick to say that's a cowardly move tyler you know like that kind of thing like i i would say that in conversation like with my dad or my uncle and and you know like like selfish move, you know, like selfish move, you know, with a permanent solution to a temporary problem, like that kind of thing. That was the mindset early on, but I hadn't done the growth and development work with myself. So it's easy to say, you know, like I didn't even, wouldn't have even thought that, Oh, you mean it wasn't to like put the burden on other people. It was to lessen the burden for other people. So that didn't even realize that until actually, um, on a podcast sharing this story with one of my other good friends, Anthony Guzzo, and you know, who has a pretty wild. Um, mental health journey as well so we we wrapped over that and and I realized I'm like holy shit like my thought process with that was wrong the whole time but now over time I've I've done the growth and development work I've eventually gotten help which I want to get into here in a minute and now I see it as completely different I see it as yeah maybe that maybe there were certain you know things that could have changed or maybe you know you know whatever but things happen for a reason. And instead of mulling over like what could have been or how could things have been different? It's how can I make the most of this situation now? And that's exactly what I've done is I've you know used that to learn more about myself, to uh, push myself further and to really just grow beyond what I imagined possible. And, and now that's helped me and you know, ultimately inspired me to leave the comfy government job, get into a career where I'm literally changing people's lives and being that person that believes in them when, when they feel, you know, when they're at a a low point in their life, whether it's with body image, confidence, self-worth, whatever it is. And and now I am that person that's able to use what I've learned along the way, my lessons, um, you know, lessons I've learned through therapy, different coaching experiences, my own journey um, to help other people change their lives and get the help that they need. So that's, it's just, it's helped for the better. And now here we are on a million, I'm on a million person mission to like literally change, help impact a million different people's lives. So that wouldn't happen. A million people won't, won't be getting their lives changed in the next 10 years if that didn't happen. I'll say that.
0: That's uh, You are a lovely human being, man. Uh, you just reminded me of something I heard actually this morning. Um, i was listening to a podcast and they were talking about um actually yeah so they're talking about what uh, two people walking up to the image on a ground of six or a nine you know depending on what per, where, which way you're standing you're looking at six or a nine and and they're talking about how perspective is kind of everything right And you're kind of talking about how at first you you're like cowardly selfish and now you're like there's maybe something else driving this or at least I'm going to use this as a different way to make it a, you know, as positive as possible and, and make sure that in whatever way you can, this never happens again to the best of your ability. And they said something about, uh, it's, not, you know, it's not about being right, it's about perspective. And then talking about we are so in our own box that it makes it hard to accept and see others that they have their own individual reality because we haven't understood that we have our own right so like we're in our own box we don't even recognize it but we also we can't recognize somebody else being in their own individual reality because we're just so friggin' locked in our own and so when you open that box though up you go oh well josh's view doesn't have to be the same as mine because it's a different perspective and that's okay but we're looking at the same thing and perspective is different and that's what makes all oh, this is so beautiful. And that's what makes that that opportunity to grow and change and evolve from feeling like you're the burden or that you didn't do enough to putting it on Tyler and going cowardly and selfish to now going, it's none of those things, man. It just is what it is. And I'm going to use this to benefit as many people as possible because it sounds like that's probably what Tyler would want. You know, this was his way in a, in a strange way. This is way, his way of going people need help this is where i'm going to bring attention to it mm-hmm. and you know in, in some ways you're like wow i'm grateful for that because think about how many people's lives you could impact obviously on the flip side you go i'd rather not impact anybody else's life and have my brother here you know mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure that conversation is had and um life is is one big paradox man you know mm-hmm. like, like nothing makes sense and everything makes sense yeah no absolutely that's it's, a, it's a pretty <laughs> yeah. wild uh, wild ride yeah. um I wanna try and, I'm gonna try and shift this without giving it up. Did you feel anger? And then how did you cope with your anger and also getting into what you were doing as a career in federal law enforcement? How did maybe, if you had any anger, did that impact your interviewing, your ability to do the job, um, background checks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Did any of that come in play for you?
1: Mm. So um, there was definitely some anger and, you know, I couldn't, I can't pinpoint. It, it was more of like a, come on, like why? You know, like, like there is, there's, there's a better way. Like that, that was, it was more of that than like actually being angry at Tyler for doing what he did, but um, going, of course, you know, carrying on our lives, going back to college. I'm a 22 year old guy knowing yeah, I could probably get some help. Like I could probably talk about this to someone. And at the time, you know, the, of course, the idea of getting therapy or a counselor crossed my mind. And at the time I'm thinking, okay, I'm a 22 year old guy. That's not, that's not what college guys do. Right. So I didn't, I shut it out, I swept it under the rug and move along with my life. And a year, what a year and a half later, I graduate college, a year later, I graduate college, get a job in federal law enforcement. And move across the country, and, and of course, th- with that, I dealt with my own like body image issues, con- confidence issues, and all of that. Really struggling to make the transition from a boy to a man, not really feeling like you know I had the the body or the look or anything like that. I mean, I'm 31; I still can't grow freaking facial hair, you know. Like that was a big struggle early on. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm starting a new life, um, moving away from Wisconsin, starting a new life in Orlando. And now I don't feel comfortable in my body. I don't feel like a man Now I'm an adult and I got to go out and make friends. And and how's that going to work? And I'm now in federal law enforcement. Who's going to take me seriously in this job if I don't even feel like a man, you know, so that was another thing. So that of course, uh, created some additional burden, but, uh, now I have this job, federal law enforcement officer and top secret security clearance. And I, Crosses my mind again, I should probably get some help. I should probably talk to someone. I could really talk to someone about this, maybe a counselor, maybe a therapist. Nope, I've got a top secret security clearance and I would love to get into the FBI secret service, CIA or something someday. So definitely don't want that on the record. Not that I'm crazy, not, you know, I don't want them to, none of that. I don't want it to affect my ability to carry a gun, you know, with, with, you know, these, these high credentials. So I stuff it under the rug again. So now, you know, five, six, seven, eight years are going by and still not having talked about it, um, you know, just not even, never having processed any of the my own emotions. And ultimately, uh, now that I am a coach, you know, of course, running my own business, I'm my own boss. And that being said, being my own boss, I've got a boss that now supports getting the help that you need. So I decided actually in January of this year, uh, what, eight, nine months ago, to finally, take the leap and go get help and it was it was funny how it actually worked out i um searching for an initial a therapist initially early on was pretty difficult um and when i scheduled the this when i scheduled my first appointment with her she was like do you want to do weekly or um what are you thinking and i was like well i was thinking either monthly or like like bi-weekly or something and she's like well let's start bi-weekly and can go from there and i was like okay right go to the first meeting and (laughs) sit there for an hour and I'm talking to her and I just like dump everything on her. And I loved it because for the first time in my life, I got to share this stuff. And, you know, the person on the other side I knew wasn't going to judge me or, you know, that it was all going to better me. So at the end of the meeting, she was like, all right, so I'll see you in two weeks. And I was like, no, 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 no. Next week. Let's do next week. (laughs) And like, right then and there, I was like, holy shit, where has this been all my life? I've completely like, like I was missing out all along. So now, you know, of course i'm not needing to go weekly anymore um, down to like you know bi weekly sometimes every third or fourth week, but um you know that's kind of where I've, where I'm at and where I've been the last seven eight months
0: good for you man i'm I'm happy that you you found that, and um, I'm sure it's been a battle and it will continue to be a battle, but um, I think that it's probably one of your better investments, I would think you would say oh my gosh, absolutely yeah. and, and,
1: and I see it like that i'm like i and i I think of it in terms of you know like. I'm like, well, it's like having a coach. It's like having a, a, literally a mental health coach. (laughs) And, and now being someone who really values investing in your health and your happiness and your future, this is hands down one of the best investments that I could have made in my life. Yeah,
0: dude, that's wonderful. That's
1: absolutely wonderful.
0: Um, Well, you had, we had talked about this a a little bit ago, but you kind of brought up body image issues. You're talking about therapy um, and we talked about how those can affect men and how men are so resistant to asking for help or re- even receiving. They don't even have to ask sometimes. I mean, I'm, I'm as stubborn as they come. And so, you know, I, I know where I'm like, fuck, I should have just said, yes, I need help. So it's always like the helps off. You're like, no, I'm good. And like five minutes later, you're like, now I actually have to ask for help. Cause I need the help that was just offered and you're like son of a bitch. But, um, what do you think what do you think it is about men trying to ask for help or fear of investing in self or getting the coach or getting therapy we're going to get into body image here in a minute but um let's start there in the most superficial layer why do we struggle so much to be vulnerable to ask <laughs>
1: it's i mean i'm gonna say it's, it's what was programmed into me from a young age be tough be you know be strong you know but you know, to, Tough guy, you know, be a tough guy, stand up for yourself. Like you can, you know, you don't really be independent, like all of that, like it was programmed into me from, from a very young age. And not that my dad ever taught me explicitly, you know, don't ask for help, do everything on your own. But I saw, that, like him set the bar. He was the measure of a man when I was growing up. He set the bar and he certainly didn't get help. He certainly didn't share his problems. He certainly didn't cry. So of course, you know, that, that, that's shaped me. Not that he ever told me or taught me anything. It was just like, I want, I grew up wanting nothing more than to be like my dad. And you know, that, that so I ended up modeling that, or, you know, that's of course it's not just him. Like I see it in society. I see it everywhere that that's, that is the measure of a man. It is kind of like what your dad does. And, and, you know, so I, it, it goes back to our past conditioning, what we're programmed to believe from a very, very, very early age. And it's taken, a ton of work and, you know, growth and, and development to move away from that, that mindset of scarcity, really like, like it's, it's a mindset of scarcity and moving to being able to accept that it's, there's no shame in asking for help. You don't get bonus points for doing it on your own. Um, And, and, you know, it's the best thing you can do is ask for help. Like, like, especially when it comes to coaching or working with a counselor or therapist, like if you want to grow faster, Talk to someone who's done it, who's done the work and who's already there and let them guide you, let, you know, let them take you by the hand and show you, let them, you know, let them hand over their frameworks or whatever it is that's tried and true rather than trying to bang your head against the wall, trial and error, trying to figure all of this stuff out on your own. Because, you know, like while there is this idea of, you know, you know, if, if you've got a lot of pride or you know, you're so prideful or whatever, and you, you really, you want to be able to say like, I did it on my own, but nobody's standing there at the finish line saying great you did it with no help like hell yeah go you like no nobody's doing that and 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 i say that with when it comes to weight loss i say that when it comes to anything nobody is giving you an extra pat on the back because you didn't do it with help and i think that's the biggest the biggest one of the biggest lessons every single adult needs to learn and truly embrace in a body in their life
0: yeah dude you just nailed it there uh I love that. Don't get bonus points for doing it alone. Uh, how true is that, man? Especially like growing up in team sports, uh, but we went, man. So I remember going to therapy. My mom and dad are in the room with me. We, The therapist was like, I want your parents to be in here. Let's do some work with your parents. And, uh, you know, I have a very loving, supportive family. There's, I'm, I'm one of those lucky bastards So like, didn't hear Noel as a child. My family's great. Uh, but I definitely have this connection with my mom. We we spent most of my time going into hockey together, right? My dad, my dad's a musician, so his hours were a little bit different. And I know I know if he could have been there, he would have been there. No issue there. I just developed a bond with my mom because we spent so much time together in these really vulnerable moments of like really upset about hockey or really excited about hockey, you know. So we we had this little bit of bond there. And I remember being in therapy and kind of therapist talking to my mom talking to me my dad just in his own way just kind of sitting there taking it all in you know he's got something to say but he just sits there and finally the therapist goes i want to hear from you my dad only the way my dad can he leans back in his chair he's got a mustache takes a deep breath rubs his mustache and he just goes i don't get it i don't understand it because when something's bothering me i just go do something else and and i i don't have any like I got no issues with what he said. Cause I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to do. I just chose the wrong shit. Um, you know, but in still to this day, my dad and I had these conversations. I'm grateful for them because I learned a lot about my dad. And I learned a lot about myself and having those conversations. Um, but I also know my dad was just cut from a different cloth. You know, he's my dad's 68 year old man who, you know, fought for himself to be the man he is today. And that's how he did it. So why would you think you, it's that perspective. This is how I did it. So there's nothing wrong with it. It was just, it's just funny to look at it and hear it and go, yeah, man, that is how you do it. And I've watched you do it for, at that point, I don't know I was 24 years old or whatever it was. And it's just like, yeah, I, I get it, man. I, I see it every day. And then you nailed it with society growing up in team sports, military, just being a man, you know, as much as we want to talk about roles or not roles, it, there's expectations set and this is what it's supposed to be and that's okay but we also have to make it okay that, like you know we're all humans that's all it is we are not really separated by all that much we are all the same but we're all different um and and it's one of my favorite phrases to say but you brought it up and and then now it's your dad let's drop this little nugget in there you donated a kidney to your father yeah so this decade (laughs) <laughs> to say that's been a, a bit of a ride is an understatement.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I actually, gosh, even, I'm thinking before I started coaching, now, you know, even early on in my coaching, you know, I, I would have, you know, coaches and business mentors and and people tell me, you need to, you know, like, tie in your personal stories. And, and I'm like, I don't have any personal sto- like, don't ask your <laughs> stories. Like I don't have any personal stories. Like what stories? I don't have anything to tell. Like Maybe my life sounds, is boring. My life is uninteresting. so much
0: like, like me right now.
1: Like, like, <laughs> and seriously. I'm like, my life is so boring and, under- and uninteresting. And I don't have any stories that can help people. And now I'm like, wait a minute. Like, it, you know, the mental health story that, you know, the story with my dad and, and all of that. And it's like, now they, they, it's funny. They, they kind of make a roadmap of my life. And, the difficulties that I've overcome, which have led to, you know, every single one of those have led to this period of like hyper growth, in me, you know, shortly after, and it's kind of like launched me into the next level of my life. And, and, you know, so these challenges, these hardships are ultimately getting me to this place in life that I used to look at it and think like, well, wow, that's that, you know, that, that up there, like, that's not for people like me you know, or, you know, Mm -hmm. this, this definition of success or, um, you know, like this idea of being rich or being a successful business owner. I remember telling my friends in college, like, yeah, you know, I lived with a bunch of, um, like business majors in college. And I remember saying like, yeah, I would love to own a business someday, but that's not for, not for people like me, not I'm middle-class. Like that's not, not for my kind of people. And, you know, so now like each one of those things have, have led me to this next level of growth, um, getting into the story about my dad. So He's a type one diabetic, so I, you know, of course, grew up seeing the difficulties that that brings to, you know, someone. Of course, like physically, when you know he would have his diabetic reactions, and me being there, like as a child, like clueless, like what do I do? How do I, you know, you know, he's kind of like, you know, almost like he. I don't know if you know any type one diabetics, but they're, you know, kind of it's kind of like when they when their sugar goes low, you know. Can look like you're like getting, you know, kind of drunk. It's like the stages of drunk. And then you kind of get to the point where you're unconscious. So I've seen that dozens of times in my life. Dozens of ambulances had to be called, all of that. Um, that's a whole different story for another day. But um, he, I remember him telling me, he pulled me and my brother aside when I was in high school. I was probably 16 years old. And he had said, you know, we were standing in the driveway and he told us that because of his diabetes, his, he was going, he was like very early on with um, kidney failure. And that at some point in his life, he would need someone to donate a kidney. And he was like, just want you guys to know it's not imminent or anything like that. But at some point that that's probably going to have to happen. And you know, right there at 16 years old, the first thing I'm thinking is uh, like a, kind of, a, I thought it was a selfish thought at first. Like, I hope it can be me. Like initially, like I, he never even asked at that point. He was like, I just hope it can be me. I don't care. Like, I hope it gets to be me that that does that. And we kind of forget about it. You know, years go by. Um, I think he mentioned it again, like five years later, you know, like 23, like, oh, that's still probably going to have to happen at some point. Well, this is, it took place February of 2019, right? Yeah. February of 2019. So the fall before that, probably September, six months before, maybe five, four months, I don't know, something like that. Five months before he pulled me aside again and said, hey, this is going to have to happen. Um, actually pulled my sister and I both aside and said, Hey, this is going to have to happen. And it's pretty imminent. And I was immediately like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? So I'm living in Florida at the time. He's in Wisconsin. And he was like, well, I'll let the doctors know. They'll be contacting you. I went and got tested like blood work. I went to like a quest lab here and gave like a dozen vials of blood and like four piss cups and got <laughs> tested. And, and like a month later, they were like all right and things look good um this is this process is going to start to unfold and really it was kind of like on the edge of my seat until like through the holidays meanwhile his health is really declining he's getting you know like really really exhausted all the time um you know just when he's not working he's on the couch sleeping things like that and you know that his my parents came and visited for christmas that year and you know like we couldn't even you know we couldn't there were, we were limited in what we could do because of his energy and his health so and at this point it was still like going to happen at some point but we didn't know when uh because there was testing that had to be done well ultimately uh it was like last minute notice I actually just like um they flew me up to chicago i donated my kidney it was it just an incredible process i went in just just fearless about it you know it was, i was like I don't even care. Like they were, I remember they were telling me when I was at my initial consultation, they were like, and by the way, you can change your mind up until the last minute. And I was like, I don't care. Like, don't Let's even just tell get me that. Like, don't man. even put it in my head, you know? <laughs> and they even told me they're like wheeling me in, and they're like, you can change your mind. You can change and you're like, they're telling you. And I was like, no, it's not like it's not even a thing. Um, and you know, ultimately, you know, had an incredible, incredible process. Um, just it was, it was fascinating as to how it all worked out. Um and you know, like he and I were both in the same operating room at, you know, at the same time, which incredible. Um, the recovery process was, this is actually a pretty cool story. I want to share this. Um, so we're at university of Illinois, Chicago there. Um, the transplant ward in that hospital there and we're on the same floor, but he's in, he's in the ICU wing and I'm in the regular wing, you know, after this had happened and the doctors told me, they, or the nurse or someone told me they're like the goal is for you to stand up and, and take a few steps and walk the first day, and you know, I can't really feel anything and you know it's like 2 p.m. in the surgery, 2 p.m. when I'm like waking up in the OR, so like by the end of that night they want me to like be walking and I was like all right great you know I'll, uh, that's my goal, so I stand they get me all ready it's that that evening I, I get all excited I'm like I think I can do this and I stand up at the edge of my bed and I'm like standing on my feet right now and the nurses are like holding my arm and I'm like ready i'm so ready and i take like a step forward and i'm like i can't do it and i was so fucking defeated so defeated that i could like i I was like i'm ready and i I couldn't like i literally failed my goal was to like walk down to his room you know and and i literally got that i was like i was frustrated and i that probably took all my energy out, and i passed out um so so the next day i get woken up by my dad, and he, he's standing there with his IV cart, and the nurse is holding his arm, and he's like, he's like, he like made some comment, like, what, you haven't walked yet? I'm like, no, I tried, actually, and clearly you are, and he's like, oh, I've been up, I've already used the restroom and everything, and I'm like, what the hell? You know, like, what is this? Like, I wanted nothing more than to, like, surprise you in your room, and, and he flipped it around, so that was... That's just an awesome, incredible story. But then later on that day, I finally made my trek down to his room. It was just really cool to be able to like, you know, stand by his bedside and, and like, you know, you know take a picture, like shaking his hand, like that kind of thing. It was just really, really cool after, but like, I wanted so bad to like, see that it worked. Yeah. You know, like they, they would, they said, they were like, yeah, your dad's okay. And I'm like, okay, great. But like, let's <laughs> see that, you know, cause like, it, it was just incredible. And so two days later, this happened on a Monday, Wednesday, At noon, they sent me home, and I'm like, what do you mean you're sending me home? I can't – I'm not ready to go home. Like, I can't even walk. And they're like, no, you got to – we can't keep you here. You got an open wound. There's too much, like, infection and stuff in the hospital. Like, we got to get you out as soon as possible. So I went home that day. Uh, My mom, like, drove me three hours back home, and then my dad gets – my dad comes home the following day. So I was in the hospital for two days, and he was in the hospital for three days, both home, on the couch, recovering for the next, like, two weeks. Just incredible.
0: That's amazing, dude. I'm, I'm laughing <laughs> in only the way a dad could. I'm sure he's standing over you on the bed and he's just, yeah, I told you I could still whoop your ass. <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah. I'm like picturing my dad where he's like, your old man still got it. I'm like, yeah, dude, I guess you do. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what it was like too. It was, it was it was incredible though. It was so cool to see him like like have that energy, you know, you know it had been long, such a long time since I'd seen that. Um, and then of course I remember in kind of the recovery process here. So I, I was, we were pretty, both pretty laid up on the couch for like, like 10 days. Um, that 10 days later, I remember I, I went and, and actually went out on a Saturday with my friends and, and there was like a St. Patrick's day bar crawl and I went out and just like hung out just really low key for a couple of hours. And then I just like, like crashed, yeah. but it was fun to like get out and, and do all of that. A couple of days later, I had to come back to Orlando so I'm on my own in the airport navigating. I've got this big duffel bag and all of that. So that was like, like I'm starting to move again and all of that. Um, I remember it was, gosh, four weeks after it had happened. And I remember telling someone, I feel perfect. I feel perfectly fine. Like, like I still had limitations. Um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't lift anything more than 10 pounds for six weeks. Couldn't lift anything more than 25 pounds for 12 weeks. Um, yeah. So that was tough. But, you know, like after four weeks, I like was like, I feel perfectly fine. I can move. I can do all the things I need to do. And I got these pretty badass looking scars. So um, that was great. And then that was now when I thought I was on, really, I thought I was on top of the world going into that. I was at my best, my absolute best shape of my life physically. Um, just, you know, I was 195 and like solid jacked, like solid muscle going into that kidney donation. And um, in a span of four weeks, I went from 195 to 173, so I lost 22 pounds, and most of which was muscle. Like I got atrophied hard, and um, so for 12 weeks after that, I just felt helpless. I couldn't, I couldn't really do anything. I was, you know, I was doing some body weight type movements and stuff, but I was very limited, and and I no longer recognized who I saw in the mirror anymore, and that was just another just. Like I, I went into that, like on top of the world, I, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, we'll be out of the gym, whatever. Didn't think at all that I was going to come out looking different, feeling different, like that kind of thing. And like, I was like blindsided by this new challenge of who the fuck is this guy that I see when I look in the mirror and where did my shoulders and chest and abs and all of that go. Um, and, you know, for the next several months, I didn't go back to work for like five, five, six weeks. So that whole time I spent at home you know, all my friends are at work. So I'm by myself. I had these huge aspirations to grow the shit out of my coaching business at the time. And, and of course I go into this mental health funk where
0: I didn't want to do anything
1: and nothing happened. And then I started to feel defeated, not only because I didn't look the way I wanted to, or as I recognized, but now I had these high hopes going in about building my business and I was letting myself down there. And like my whole idea was if I can do this in five to six weeks, like build my business, like use 40 hours a week and really build it. I won't need to go back to work. Well, my business, like boom, 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 like down, 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 lost, lost clients. Cause I just wasn't doing shit. Like, like I was in a funk and you know, that was when I first realized like, holy shit, like I've got, I'm dealing with some depression or something. And it, it was a battle. I hit my lowest low. I almost, if I didn't pay for a year outright of, um, business coaching with Tony Stefan. I, and, and I was like five, six months in. So I had six months to go. If I didn't have six months to go in that uh, program, I would have straight up quit coaching. I would not have finished. And I actually told them that I, you know, it was like June and uh, at our, at our retreat there, that was actually when that conversation with that woman happened. I, you know, got in front of the group and I was kind of sharing my, my, you know, we had to share kind of where we were with our business and stuff. And, and I was up there and I was bawling in front of the room of 50 people, 50 other RDs and nutrition coaches. And, and like literally bawling, like guys, if I, if it wasn't for this group right here, like I wouldn't, I gotta be honest, I wouldn't be here. If I didn't pay this outright, I would not be a coach anymore. Like I would have given it up. And that was kind of when I was like, kind of like lit a new fire, found a new, new passion, new purpose inside of the same thing. And just, it's been just, straight growth sense,
0: dude that's uh, so much there there's so much (laughs) uh well it's it's interesting because the the 20 pounds post kidney you had talked about when we talked a a couple weeks ago or a week ago whatever it was uh you know your intention was to build muscle to quote unquote be a man because that's you know that's kind of how we view it in our society um Mm -hmm. more often than not of like well men are from this cloth of like chiseled abs and chest and like obviously that's a picture of health like a picture of it doesn't always tell the whole story well we also know that the other opposite of that is is a lot of disease and, and all these things but your intention that may have not have been in, in health oriented at the beginning it, it was very much from be a man it was ego driven and so when you have that experience where you you give you know you give your father the kidney and then you're laid up for so long and then you're like holy shit here's my bones all that work you put in exposed all the fucking work you didn't put in um and so then you're like wow i was in this depression you're like yeah yeah dude because the only thing that you can rely on your mind um is is now going oh what am i without muscles Mm -hmm. and so that's it is a pretty fascinating um Kind of storyline there because every it, it, I don't know any dude that ever tells you that they didn't dream of having big old muscles like Arnold, so like you're just fucking lying to me and yourself. But, right. um, you know, like give me a break. I still got a poster of Arnold in my room. I'm like, damn. Every time I go home in Michigan, I'm like, fuck, man, I'm still so <laughs> far off. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have had that ice cream on the way home. I don't know, yeah. but it is this thing of like, obviously, there's a picture of health that we would like to see to just give it a physical description and that doesn't necessarily mean six pack abs and chiseled you know you don't have to look like arnold but the opposite doesn't make sense either but in creating identity around just being ripped up you know this is that you know when you reach the number on the scale you're you will have reached your destination of how you view yourself and you're like that's not it at all i'm guilty of that too you know and that's why my weight loss does you know goes on this roller coaster ride too because it's like well what are you really doing this for? You're doing this so you can look good, or are you doing this because like you really want to feel as you know great as you possibly can, and you want to see what your p- potential is, and yada yada yada. Where your discipline, lie, whatever, the, whatever the why is, the why is not likely for in most cases going to be strong enough when it's like, dude, yeah, I just want to be huge. Hmm. Usually that's out of some kind of fear, and and it sounds like you kind of met that marker. Yeah. when oh, And yeah. you were like laying on the couch, and you're like so I can't even lift this tray of food up right now without potential risk of injury. Um, and deadly at that point, you know, like, you know, like, so it, it's, it's, it's fascinating how all of that came together for you. Put all that work in. You're like, man, I'm at my highest point, baby. I could do this. Take both kidneys if you want, you know, and then post it's like the universe kind of just lining up going, ah, well, we've made time for you here, Josh. So I guess we'll just deliver now. You know, we've, this is as good a time as ever. And it's even cooler that you've been able to revamp and rediscover yourself and really put yourself into a position of of trusting who you are. And, and, you know, as you said, in, in when we talked before, live in your true power. And that's exactly what you help women do. And, and I know that your business is rooted in helping women, but um, I don't think that, I know for business purposes, we root that like that, but I think that your power lies way deeper than women. I think it, it lays in, in humanity and I think that you have been incredibly battle tested and I'm sure there's more battles and tests to come. Um, but man, you have, you have quite, uh, an inspiring story and not even so much of like, oh, you can live your dream life of making $20 million in one day and living on a beach and have great hair like you do. And you know, like all (laughs) these things, right. It's, it's, it's inspiring in the fact of like, man, it's not about if you face adversity, it's when you face it and how are you going to respond? And no matter how you've chosen to respond, you've learned from it, whether it's been positive or negative and, and fuck dude, the, the world needs more of that. And I will say that men need a whole lot more of that. Um, so I know that your, your business is very much rooted in, in, in women. And I think that's wonderful because empowered women are, are absolutely necessary for this world. Uh, but I think that also we've, we, as men, the society has lost track of what a, what a quote unquote real man is. And that's not the definition of go to work, raise your family, retire, never talk about your feelings. No, it's about having purpose and it's about being driven and it's about you reaching your potential for you so that you can show up for others and your family and yourself. And, you know, I have this conversation quite often. My wife and I, we love, we, we have these conversations all the time about what it means to be a man in masculine. And it's not, it's not supposed to be aggressive, like, I'll fight every. No, no, no. It just means that you wake up and it's not supposed to take away from women, it's not supposed to take away from other men. It's supposed to give to you so you can give outwardly. And man, I just, the more you talk, I'm like, holy Moses, man, this guy is hands up on that roller coaster the entire time, eyes wide open and he's not getting off. And and I think that that is such a wonderful gift for all of us. And, uh, I hope that you, you continue to, and uh, to view yourself as that gift and, and, um, is someone that is, is crucial to the progression of, of, of society.
1: I appreciate that. And absolutely, absolutely. will. and, and I know that I'm not, you know, while I primarily work with women in in the coaching space, like my impact, you know, I I know my impact is not isolated to women. Like I know that hearing that story, sharing, you know, some of this, these identity issues and the body image issues and, and all of that is going to impact more men than, you know, than anything. And, and that's great. That's freaking awesome. And, and I, Wanna be clear that while I help women, you know, in my day to day my work life, like like my impact does not, is not limited to gender or color, shape, size, whatever the hell it is. So right. that's and a that,
0: big thing. and that was my whole point there. It's like body image. Everybody talks about women struggling with body image. You're like, oh. fuck you. I know they do. I also struggle with body image very severely. Like I, oh I literally just journaled the morning of this podcast being recorded. I literally just journaled the fact that holy shit a lot of my worth is centered around my body image. And I can tell you my view of my own body is not a very positive one. Yeah. So when sure. I'm sitting there going like, why would someone pay me to do this? Why am I not able to do that? And you're like, because yeah, you haven't figured out your worth in a physical sense. You yeah. you are still tied to that. So um, dude, in wrapping this up, man, this has been, this has been really powerful for me. And, and I hope that this reaches so many people And in like, the funniest part about your situation is that you you work with women, but like how much of the stuff that you impact women with during your coaching, do they sit, turn around, and go to their boyfriends, their husbands, you know, whatever it is, and their their brothers, fathers, whatever, and they start telling the fathers and brothers and everybody are like, "Oh shit, I've yeah. seen two now." So like, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things, now. dude. You we always think about I'm either coaching no one or I'm only coaching one person, and like that whole mentality of. Well, if I can help one person, you never just help one person. You may have a conversation that helps one person, but that one person may go and infect thirty-five other people, who infect a hundred fucking people, and then all of a sudden, this world—and we never see that. Generally, we don't just see that. Mm-hmm. And you—you you get the battle. Like, am I able to help people? Am I not? Able? Yes, your story resonates with somebody, and that's why you've got to tell it. And, and yeah. for that, dude, I am—I am so grateful to have shared the space with you, and. Um, obviously gotten to know you better, but I, I, I feel, um, I feel just very, very grateful for that. You, you shared this and that we need a few more people like
1: you. Mario. I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm grateful that you've given me the platform to share that story. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things like I, I'd share the same story every day. I, you know, i probably. He'll slowly peel back layers of the onion with each time I tell it. So that's, that's incredible there. I do want to touch on one thing with the back back to the body image thing um, after the kidney donation. So uh, I think this is really important considering the guys that are going to listen to this and even, even any of the women that listen to this as well, because I know that if you've ever had a baby, you can relate to this in terms of not feeling, you know, not, 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 not seeing, not not feeling you are the same person after having the baby, you know, whether you put on a couple pounds or whatever, as you were before. And then feeling like, wow, I got to get back to that standard that I was before. And, you know, to be frank, I <laughs> I spent my entire adult life. So when I, when I said I struggled to make the transition from a boy to a man at 23 years old, going into federal law enforcement, that was really when I, I, I like started my like real fitness journey, like getting off the diet cycles and, and getting into like, seriously, working out. And of course there was a lot of like overtraining and under eating and trying to do everything at once and thinking more is better and all of that during that time. But, but my entire adult life, like I graduated college at 180 pounds and, and, you know, so I was built trying to build muscle the whole time. So the last nine years was like build muscle. That was all my, the blood, the sweat, the, you know, all of the hard work, the hour, literally hours I put in the gym each day. Um, and so that is what I no longer saw when I looked in the mirror. You know, when I would look in the mirror before that, it was, you know, like like wow, this is great. Like I, this is all the hard work. Like I I am this measure of a man. And now look in the mirror now, see that. And I you know I feel like that like like yanked the rug out from under me and took away all of the hard work and all of the you know all of that too. Like I felt like I lost it all. What I've later what I like one of the connections I made when I was. At home in this in this funk in recovery was holy shit. Especially early on in my journey and really throughout my entire journey, I've seen these other guys, these guys at the gym that are just huge, these massive guys, and I feel like I, I would always treat them or or feel toward them like they're not like me. They're 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 they're, they're, they're these you know sculptures or you know whatever they are. They're they're, yeah, the guys. they're yes exactly like they're not they're not regular people and they don't you don't talk to them like regular people you don't look at them like regular people and i'm sure a lot of people feel that what i realized was and i'm not trying to compare myself to that but that i was very much like that like i had this physique this sculpture this body and at the snap of the fingers i didn't have it anymore and nothing on the inside changed i was the same exact person on the inside so i learned the hard way that it doesn't fucking matter what 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 you look like in the mirror or how many pounds of muscle you have on your body or what your shoulders or chest or abs look like because all of those guys at the gym that are that are huge that you're afraid to talk to that you think are in a different league or whatever they could lose that today and they're gonna be the same fucking person and like that was one of the biggest lessons that I took away right there was that I don't it doesn't change who you are, whether you have this, this, this look or not, like you're the same person on the inside. My core, my identity was the same. And that was one of the connections I had to make to really come to terms with the situation I was dealing with. And then another one is this idea of getting back to where I was. Two years ago, I, I, you know, Facebook time hop is a bitch, you know that, I, I see these pictures. So two years ago was when I was my biggest and, and we get done recording, I'll show you a picture of that. And, and that was huge, great. I see those pictures now. And and now that my number one priority is like, you know, like I'm prioritizing my business and my relationship more. So I'm not putting the time into the gym that I was at the time when I was a single guy at 27, 28, 29 years old. So I don't look the same. I've tried to get back to that. And I don't know that I ever will. And, you know, seeing that and seeing like, oh, my gosh, I was in my best shape of my life two years ago. And here I am now. That's the measuring stick. And I'm coming up short. So, this is something that I wrestle with. And, and, like you said, you look at your body image and it's not always the greatest. That's where I am today. I look at myself and I'm like, damn, like, I haven't looked like this in a long time. But look what I'm doing. Look, I have a thriving relationship. I have a thriving business that's impacting hundreds of people's lives. And that I'm okay with because I know now that my worth is what's inside of me. It is not what you can see in the mirror or, what fits into my pants or anything like that.
0: Good deal, man. I love it. You're an awesome dude. I appreciate uh, that. I have one last question. asked asks for everybody, but uh, before that, um, where can people find you?
1: Instagram is where it's at. Josh Pierce nutrition. Good deal. I'll have a link yeah. to everything. Yeah. Hey, I've well, also, what I've was also the, got a podcast, uh, fit to be fierce podcast. Check it out. Um, it's on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, all the every podcast platform you can find.
0: Good deal, man! I'll, I'll be sure to link that um, in all the notes. Uh, what was the nonprofit for Tyler? What was it's the name of that?
1: Tyler's Team Foundation Inc. It's uh, it's in Wisconsin. If you're if anybody's looking it up, it's Southern Wisconsin.
0: Cool. And I'll all the
1: ev- everything that we everything that we all the fundraising we do goes back to the local community. So really, like Southern Wisconsin, Northern Illinois communities. Um, whether it's going back to the kids, you know, local schools, stuff like that. Uh, this, this summer was actually supposed to be our 10th annual, uh, memorial event. And we were hoping to hang our hats on, you know, the nice 10, 10 of them. And, and, you know, that was a good run and we didn't even get a chance to have it. So hopefully next year is number 10 and that would probably be the end of our long run toward that. I don't know that it'll be the end of our fundraising altogether. I don't really know what, what what's going to come with that but um yeah so that's where you can find us
0: awesome dude i'll make sure it's all linked um sweet dude last question uh when it's all said and done my man what will it mean for you to have lived a life well done
1: oh my gosh that's a really good question that is a really good question too um you know i'm gonna say to leave like my entire goal. my and, and i've really wrestled with this for um Quite a while is like what's my purpose? What's my purpose? My like even my why behind my my fitness goals, my coaching goals, it's to leave a legacy. And my this legacy is a legacy of impact and and really, you know, like like putting impacting other people's lives and, and changing people's lives for the better at the front of this ship I'm driving. So just a legacy of impact. That's what it means.
0: Good deal, brother. Well, uh, the depths that we just went to in a podcast that I'm going to sum up this episode by saying Facebook time hop is a bitch. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was the quote, man. That was the quote you offered. And I, I literally wrote that down because that's hilarious. Um, it is a bitch. There are yeah. too many times where I'm on there. And I'm like, ah, I could have gone without that one. But here we are. Thanks. But Josh, thank you so much for spending this time with me, dude. Um, I appreciate the fight that you are fighting uh, keep giving, giving it out there and, uh, anything that I can do and be a support. And, uh, just as a friend is, is a colleague, I guess, whatever it is, man, I'm here for it. Um, and I appreciate you spending your time and giving your vulnerability.
1: Absolutely, man. Thanks a lot for having me. I really, really appreciate you bringing me on. Um, And anybody who wants to reach out, if first off, if this story of my stories, anything I shared today touched you in any way, seriously, find me on Instagram, drop me a DM and just let me know. I, (laughs) I get this weird, weird fulfillment. of like when people are like, Hey, I heard your story and holy shit, like that has my my head spinning or whatever, like, like share it, let me know. I, like I told you, I, I get excited when, you know, if I, if I can impact one person, that that's my goal. Well, like that, that's how I know if I'm impacting people. So um, let me know if this impacted you in any way. I'm an open book. If, if anything resonated with you and you want to dive deeper and talk about how I handled anything or how you should handle something seriously, let me know. Every message gets responded to. So, okay.
0: I love it, man. I love it. All right, dude. Well, we'll shut her down here and uh, we'll stay connected through
1: this whole thing. Of course, man. Take care. You too, buddy.